Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wearying, wonderful world of mixed martial arts, because it's all of those things. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host. Um, all right. On the agenda tonight, we have last night's card, UFC Fight Night 123. Um, it was a card. There was some good stuff. There was some mediocre stuff. There were a few bad things. Uh, we'll get to all of that. A lot of the bad stuff came from the officiating from last night's. There was some there was some weirdness there, but we can go into we'll go into some more detail later. Also, we will be previewing uh UFC on Fox twenty six. I believe it's twenty six. Yes. Uh which will come your way on Saturday. It's got a pretty good main card. The main event is Robbie Lawler versus Rafael Dos Anjos. You've also got Ricardo Lamas fighting Josh Emmett, uh, Ponzinibbio versus Perry. Um, <laughs> that's going to be fun. And, you know, the rest of that card, uh, the UFC will be in Winnipeg. That's the first time in Winnipeg in like four years. Uh, there's also a decent chance that the winner of that main event will get the next title shot. I mean, they would make the most logical contender, but at the moment, Logic and the UFC are experimenting with other partners. I don't know, taking a break. So take that for whatever it's worth. Uh, We'll also be going over some of the major news events from the last week, including a big one surrounding the middleweight division. So that's kind of what's planned for the agenda. Um, If you happen to have a question or a comment that you would like to have addressed here, I am happy to take those in a couple of different formats. First up, feel free to call in at 323-657-0901. If you would rather send your questions via some written format, feel free to tweet me. I am at WinfreyMMA or leave comments on the Facebook post that has this player embedded on the Rattletion Broadcasting Network Facebook page. I believe I can keep track of all of those roughly at the same time, so... If you happen to feel so inclined, by all means, questions and comments are always welcome. Happy to take them. All right, I think that's everything from the setup standpoint. Let me introduce the panel. First up, we have Jeff Harris with us again, 411's resident wildcat, who is uh, anxiously looking forward to Tuesday. How you doing, Jeff? It's Monday, actually, that I'm looking forward to. Oh, nice. Because... All I do is coach. 
<laughs> That's pretty good. All right, I think Pat might be calling in a little bit later. So at the moment, it's just the two of us, but let's go ahead and jump into the main event. From last night. Step your game uh, up, Pat Mullen. I'm just kidding. Happy to have uh, you, anyway. Anyway, last night, main event, Brian Ortega defeated Cub Swanson via guillotine choke in the second round. Um, ooh, This was a weird... I liked this fight for as long as it lasted. This was a good fight. Um, Cub had his moments. He was kind of finding his rhythm. Uh, you know, Cub was clearly the superior puncher in terms of power and in terms of volume, but they both had... They had a weird rhythm going in the first round where they were just kind of trading. Not like wild exchanges, but one of them would try a combination that would, you know, partially land or was mostly blocked, and then they'd reposition. The other one would throw, um, which happens in MMA. That's not a lot of combat sports, actually. Especially he, he, with Cub. Cub likes to feel his opponents out, usually. He tends to be a slow starter, too. Yeah, so you had some of that. Then near the end of the first, Ortega... It's a front headlock and very nearly locks up an anaconda choke. Uh, that thing was, that was tight. That was very close. I think if there's 10 more seconds in that round, he probably finishes it. Yeah. But Cubs got. I really thought, I, mean, I really thought he had it sunk in. It, it, it was really a case of Swanson getting saved by the bell, but Swanson did a good job of defending it and at least, you know, staying Staying alive long enough to buy the bell to keep him out of there. It was also really a really good understanding of where he was. I mean, if again, if there's more time, I think he tries to defend that differently because he doesn't have the bell coming up. But knowing that he was on short time, I mean, you defend differently when you have to survive for five seconds versus you know he, fifteen. Ortega is a really underrated submission specialist. Three of his last five wins. Uh, all ended by some variation of a choke. Uh, his last two wins were by guillotine choke. He beat Diego Brandau with a triangle choke. He has uh, seven seven of his um, of his uh, thirteen wins are by uh, uh, are by submission. His his win over Mike De La Torre it did end in a submission, but that was one that was overturned due to his drug yeah, his drug did. test failure. Yeah, he got him with a standing rear naked choke, I seem to recall. Right. So, you know, the, uh, the steroid thing, notwithstanding, he's, he's still unbeaten in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, his submission game is is among the best in the division, if not all of the UFC. He's an incredible grappler. The finish, this is what kind of stuck out to me about the finish, because uh, they get into the second round, they're kind of hanging out in the clinch, and Ortega jumps into he don't, when I say he jumps guard, I don't mean he he pulled uh, Cub Swanson on top of him. I mean he jumped to a standing guard, so Cub is still standing and upright, and Ortega has guard or mount if you want to look at it that way, because you can't actually. And it was through the most. I mean, what he did next, he so he jumps up for this, jumps to guard. Winds up having to adjust his grip because he doesn't feel it's quite right. Adjusts one-handed. Like, he has to let go, basically hang all of his weight off of the back of Cub's neck with one hand, one arm. Hold the position, adjust his grip, resinks the choke, forces the finish. 
Uh, I mean, the midair adjustment was extremely cool, and it, it's stealing a lot of the discussion away from what was less flashy, but perhaps more impressive, was the way he was able to jump for that choke to begin with. As they're hanging out, I believe they're kind of in a 50-50 position in the clinch, which is common. I mean, this is what struck me about the way he set this up. It wasn't spectacular in terms of his positioning. He just, they were kind of jockeying for position. He landed a knee to the body, not a terribly hard knee, but he landed and Cub kind of ducked. I don't know if it was impact. I don't know if it was repositioning Ortega towards the fence. I don't know if it was trying to catch the knee. Some combination of all of those is quite likely. But as he ducks, his head just kind of goes a little bit below the shoulder level of Ortega's arm. And that's all the opening Ortega needed to slide his arm into a choke and then you know, jump for the finish. That's an incredibly mundane position. You see that same basic, you know, clinch setup and clinch location constantly in MMA. Like uh, a couple of earlier fights from this card, uh, Holtzman and Horcher were in that same basic position a lot. And something about Ortega's game, he, because he is so good on with his submissions, he's able to take a very commonplace. I mean, you're safe there. You're not, you know, I mean, again, you're in a fight, but nobody else is threatening that particular choke from that, again, common uh, position. There's not a spectacular setup. He's not, Cub's not off balance. He's not unaware. He's not got his posture broken. There's no funky wrist control that sets it up. It's just the minorest of mistake from what should be an even clinch position. And suddenly he's in, he suddenly he's being choked and has to give up. You, you just can't grapple with Brian Ortega under even the most, you have to be on your game in even the most, again, like mundane circumstance. That's common getting in that position, fighting in the clinch like that happens all the time. And Brian Ortega can take you from a position that is common and that against maybe everyone else in the division and 99% of all fighters on the planet, you are relatively safe against. And against him, you're not. It was, it was shocking. Not that he won, but the way he got it just, it's incredible. And it's worth noting about his submission game. His arms are good in terms of his guillotines and his rear naked chokes. He slides them in quickly. He knows how to, you know, find grooves in your defense and your hand position and where your, you know, neck and head and shoulders all. He knows how to maneuver around there. He's got an exceptional guard game too. Um, some of his earlier fights, uh, I think the Tavares fight. He, and the Brandau fight, he spent some time on his back in both of those. And his his grappling from the bottom is really good. I mean, he's got some great leg dexterity. He's got great hips. Uh, his shrimping under Tiago Tavares, who is a legitimate you know, black belt in his own right, was unbelievable. It shouldn't be that easy against anyone, much less someone as proven as Tavares is. This 
you you really like can't grapple with this guy. It is so dangerous at, at all positions, unless you have his like unless you have his back. You're in danger, and even if you do have his back, he's you. He's probably going to make you fight to keep it. It's it was uh, it was amazing to watch that develop as quickly as it did from such a common spot. Uh, I don't know if Ortega gets the next title shot. I think it still probably goes to Frankie Edgar, but I mean Brian Ortega is pretty clearly at this point one of the best featherweights in the world because Cub Swanson doesn't lose often. I mean, again, his only other losses in the UFC were Lamas. Uh, Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway beating Cub Swanson says something pretty, pretty emphatically about your skill set. Uh, this was a huge win for Ortega and a really interesting finish to go along with it. So, uh, Pat, I know you're a big Cub Swanson fan. Uh, what did you think about the fight as it developed? If you, you know, apart from what you had brought up already. Sorry, Jeff. Is Pat I might, here? I might have misspoke. I, I misspoke. I misspoke. It's you. Sorry. Okay. Uh, I really like the fight. Uh, I am a big fan of Cub Swanson, so, of course, uh, I was disappointed uh, to see him lose here, but uh, I was really impressed just with um, Ortega's grappling skills and that um, as good as they were before, he definitely seems like he's improving there. And uh, he seemed to be holding – holding his own with Swanson in the, in, in the standup. Uh, but I mean, this is a huge win for him and this kind of, I think this puts him solidly in the top five. Now you have to consider giving him uh, a big fight next. Um, I mean, maybe you put him in there, not with like a Jose Aldo type, but probably the winner of Lamas versus Emmett, uh, next weekend. Um, I thought Ortega looked good. I think he's getting better each time out, honestly. Yeah, he's he's a serious problem to be solved at the moment. I like I him against I would, the I don't know if I would I don't you see I don't know if I would go that far, Robert, because I think I think Holloway matches up well against him, to be honest. And well, Holloway, Holloway matches really up good... well against the entire division. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, like, I think he's not going to be able to drag around and gra- out-grapple Holloway like he did Swanson. Because uh, Holloway has massively improved his overall grappling uh, in submission defense since when he first came into the UFC. Uh, but I think he is, I think he is a serious, like a serious face in this division now. He, like he like he's a made man at this point. You have to take the guy seriously. Yeah, uh, I'm very like, anxious. Does he do to see that to does Frankie Edgar? Does he does he do that to Frankie Edgar? Even a slightly older Frankie Edgar? I, I'm. I don't know. I I, I don't Frankie know. Frankie does Frankie a lot of really... distance closing for of distance closing for you. And if Frankie goes for that kind of double jab to threaten the knee tap and leaves his neck exposed for too long, he could go to sleep too. Yeah, but Frankie. Who's ever submitted Frankie? Oh, Frankie's never been finished by anyone under any circumstances. I mean, not I mean, that, not that, not that Ortega would be incapable of doing so. I just feel like he'd have trouble with Frankie's wrestling. Frankie is an excellent might. wrestler. Frankie is a Frankie is Frankie an is exceptional an wrestler. wrestler. 
he's an excellent wrestler and submission grappler when he uses those tools. That's true. I mean, look what he did. Look, I mean, Yair Rodriguez, he's not a grappler, but look what he did to Yair. Look what, look what Frankie did to Cub Swanson as well. Yeah. Uh, I would be very interested to see that, how that fight would potentially play out as well, because, you know, Frankie also pushes a pretty incredible pace and has done and seen it all. Uh, but again, I, I imagine Frankie just will get the next shot at Max Holloway and will, I still think Holloway finishes Frankie. And I, I don't say that lightly at all. Yeah. Uh, Frankie was there at the event last night. He said he wanted uh, to do the fight in June, probably not June, March in uh, Las Vegas. I don't know if that's on the table right now. Um, I don't know if Holloway will be ready to go that soon, but uh, I get, I mean, there doesn't seem to be anyone else right now. Now that, now that Swanson's lost and I don't think you quite want to give it to Ortega yet. No, it, it seems a bit. It seems like Ortega needs at least one more significant win before you can really. One enter more, into one more, discussion. one more guy like a like a guy on Lamas's level, and I think you can give it justify giving him a shot. Yeah. Provided he's done with the whole. Provided he's done with the steroids. He you hasn't know, had any issues since. He hasn't, but like you never know. I mean, I mean. I mean, I mean, Robert, John Jones doesn't have any issues until he has another one. Again, that's true, but uh, he's also talked a lot. But he's, my, he was very honest about that as far as the steroids for his debut went. Uh, I mean, was he? I, think, I don't remember what he said. Yeah, yeah. After he popped for it, he <sighs> mentioned, yeah, I took it. I felt he felt a tremendous amount of pressure to perform. Under those yeah. circumstances, it was really close to his home, I think. Well, I, I mean, double- the pressure doesn't change. It only gets higher. No, but your ability to – yeah, that was in San Jose. That's very close to his backyard. Look, I'm not – look, look. He made, again, but your ability to deal with it uh, you know, gets better, which is more, look, I think – Look, he made what a it, mistake. I'm not going to – look, I'm not going to hang – I'm not going to, like, condemn him his entire career. I'm just saying I hope he's done with that because he is very talented. You know, and uh, I don't want to see a guy, like a guy's career come down just because of dumb mistakes. Yeah, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, all right. Um. Oh. Eh. No, I'll save that for later. All right. Next up. Uh, this was a weird one. Uh, there were again, there were some weird circumstances last night. Uh, Gabriel Benitez defeated Jason Knight by unanimous decision, 30-26, 30-26, and 29-27. Um, the weird scores there, the 29-27 in particular, stem from an incident in the first round where Jason Knight had a point deducted for biting Gabriel Benitez's fingers. I... I don't think... Let me, this is weird because when I say I don't think it was intentional... This wasn't Mike Tyson chowing down on Evander Holyfield's ear or um, Norman Park actually had a couple of fights with, I forget the other guy's name, but he was involved in a a finger-biting incident in a smaller promotion earlier this year. That was very clearly like, uh, I'm going to bite this guy's finger because of the position I'm in. This felt more, and I don't have any problem with the point deduction. 
I just want to explain why I don't feel this was on the same level as some of those other incidents. Benitez was kind of had kind of a front headlock, and he was fighting along in that position as he was being backed into the fence. And there's a lot of there's a lot of readjusting your grip and your fingers, and you're in the other guy's face and chin and upper throat area, and there's just a lot of compression and maneuvering that goes on in that. And it's I I find it very feasible that while he was fighting with his hands in that position, he just happened to get it into. Jason Knight's mouth, because Jason Knight was breathing through his mouth at the time, and then during a compression segment that followed, his finger got bit. I, right. I don't. I don't think this was Jason Knight deliberately biting the guy. It's happened. But, I mean, it, it's happened in wrestling. It happened. Uh, happens a lot I think in, in, in um in a match with uh, Hendricks and Woodley. Not with fingers, but I guess it happened in that first UFC women's title fight. Something. St- sort of like related to biting with Ronda Rousey and Liz Carmouche and Carmouche yeah. fought last night too, where yeah. Liz where Carmouche like, had her Carmouche back and had, had the, arm. uh, right. Yeah, she had tried to get her in that choke. Face. But Ronda's got a jaw issue apparently. And it, right. part of her forearm just kind of ended up in there. And as she was squeezing, yeah, she showed off the, uh, the teeth indentations in her arm after the fact. Right. Well, like, it, like, it happened. Ronda wasn't trying to bite her, but like her, yeah her forearm went into her mouth. So, I mean, it's yeah, like, it happens. you know, it's not, it's like an unintentional bite or, you know, because body parts are, are exposed and that, and, um, and, and because of grappling, you have parts and things uh, going through mouths or over mouths. And it doesn't surprise me. They get caught. It wasn't like, it wasn't like that incident on the ultimate fighter where, where a guy like bit into a contestant's chest on purpose when he had had him in like a choke or something. It's not like that. I remember um, that. But yeah, th- this wasn't like that. But well, I have no. I, pro- think, I still have no problem with the point I don't think it was wrong to deduct points for it. I don't think yeah. it was wrong to deduct points for it either. I think we need more point deductions because we see we see referees like we see them warn a lot, but they seldom but they seldom deduct points. And then and and then they'll and then sometimes they'll just deduct a point out of the blue without a warning even. Which is which is weird to me. Yeah, some of that's um, weird. For me, there's a couple of fouls that if you commit, I feel there should be an automatic point deduction. I think kicking or well, kneeing like, the head of a downed opponent should be an automatic deduction. And like, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I think biting should be an automatic deduction. Like, like that, that. Here's an example. Like that time Yamazaki deducted a point from Norman Park in a fight that caused him to get a draw uh, for grabbing the shorts. To me, that was not a point deduction type of foul. That's a warning. It's a warning or a reset. You don't deduct a point over that because um, he hadn't been grabbing the shorts before then. You know, uh, I and it didn't look like he was intentionally. From what I what I saw there, it didn't look like he was intentionally grabbing the shorts or trying to cheat. But that's just my opinion. I I don't disagree with you at all there again. There's a lot of officiating that is left to referees' discretion and there's positives and negatives to that. And yeah, the inconsistency is sure. one of the negatives. Uh as for the rest of the fight, I I feel like Jason Knight never really got over mentally that biting and then the point deduction because he was doing okay in that up until that point. I don't think he was winning the round quite I mean 
he was winning, but it wasn't huge. Like, he was edging it, maybe. But after that, he never really got his head back in the game. He never angled properly. He kept get, uh Benitez did a really good job of, you know, baiting his looping punches, then turning an angle, uh, firing a left, firing a head kick. There was a lot of really good... Uh, just angles and general movement from Benitez throughout this fight, while Jason Knight did a lot of very linear stuff. And uh, he got very, very predictable. Uh, this wound up being a really effective showcase for Benitez, who has a really good left kick um, and has some really good movement, apparently. I don't think he's ever had to really move like he w- did in this fight, but he cut a lot of really impressive angles, did a lot of turning. Uh, I wasn't terribly familiar with Benitez prior to this. I mean, he'd fought in the UFC two times before. Several. Jeez. Several times. Um, just never stuck in my head, apparently. I remember his loss to Andre Feely. I loosely remember the Barzola loss. I do remember him choking out Sam Cecilia. But uh, this was a really mature performance from Benitez in terms of what he did uh, in relation to what Knight was giving him. So uh, solid stuff from Benitez all the way around. Uh, He might actually have a bit of a future as a higher-level featherweight if he keeps developing because he's also relatively young. Yeah, he's only 29, and he's... Got 26 fights. That's not nothing. But there's still a lot of room for him to develop, and if he keeps going, he might wind up as a player in the division uh, in the next couple of years or so. It wouldn't surprise me. Let me phrase it like that. All right. What do you? What did you think about this one? You know, the apart from the biting, which I think we covered, but the actual action uh, and Jason Knight really, really underperforming. Uh, the action was decent. Um, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good fight. I think he could have gotten the finish though, to be honest with you. Put in a little more effort. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Didn't he almost have him a couple times? Uh... Sort of. Like, he was able to land a couple of good punches, but he never really... He never was able to land a really... When I say definitive, I mean, like, whoa, he clearly took Knight's equilibrium. He he tagged him pretty consistently, but he never really was able to land the either one or like a combination of two or three punches that really sat Knight back on his heels and had him... That's kind of my thing. ...desperate to recover. You know... Guys in, you know, guys seem to have trouble with combinations sometimes, and just doing some basic things to really maximize their, maximize those openings, you know. Yeah, and I almost feel like this is weird, and I can't. Again, this is just my feeling. Benitez kept expecting Jason Knight to kind of hit second to gear. So anytime he was able to land a decent combination, the way he had like prepared for this, it felt like, okay, I'm going to hit him. But after I hit him, he's likely going to respond in one of these ways. I need to be prepared to respond to that. And Jason Knight never got out of first. And it just resulted in, again, Benitez kind of tuning him up in 
for significant portions, but never, but also always being mindful when he probably didn't need to be about elements right. of Knight's he game that little, never came into play. Little, yeah, I agree. I would say he was a little overly cautious, but you know, it's not often you get an opportunity to fight in a UFC co-main event on this kind of stage. Plus, he was coming off a loss, too. No, he was coming off a win, wasn't he? i got to double-check this now. No, you're right. He lost to Barzola. I remember. Okay. Both, both, guys, were, both guys were coming off losses. Yeah, Knight got a donkey conged by Ricardo Lamas. Yeah, there were probably openings that, under different circumstances, he might have been able to take more advantage of. But, again, that whole fight wound up playing out very oddly after that first foul. So, again, I give Benitez a lot of credit for not letting that get into his head. Whereas it pretty clearly shook Jason Knight, and he never got back on track. Uh, Your next bout, ooh, boy. Um... Marlon Moraes may have knocked basic geography out of Aljamain Sterling with a knee to the head in the first round. Uh, this was... I, I, I watched that happen and I verbally exclaimed something. It was... This was... I mean, I picked Moraes. I picked Moraes pretty comfortably. Like I, I, I really thought he was going to beat Aljamain Sterling. I did not expect him to do that. <laughs> um, he was kind of having his way with Sterling on the feet. Again, this fight went like a minute and seven seconds. It was, so there's not a whole lot to break down in great detail, but he kept landing some pretty decent punches. He dropped Sterling with a right, followed him down, but Sterling pretty clearly still had elements of his wits about him. He, Immediately threw up uh, his legs, got them in play. He made a couple of pretty critical errors that let you know he was still, he wasn't quite all the way there, but he was more than enough, comp, uh, you know, cognizant of his surroundings to still be doing stuff. And Marais decided, all right, I'm not going to risk it. I know I've got his number on the feet. Stood back up, made Sterling stand. On the reset, Sterling kind of leans down for a, a level change or a faint or a fainted takedown or, you know, something you wound up bent over at the waist. What his actual intention was is uh, I'll never know. That's really the perfect counter to like a takedown attempt. If you if can you time, can that time knee, it, <laughs> if you can, if you can time it, that's, that's how you can stuff the takedowns and that's how you can stop wrestlers. It's just guys, you know, that type of timing is so rare. It really is, and Marais was kind of throwing, might have been a switch kick that was kind of going to the head, but he adjusted as Sterling started dropping and gave him the old knee kick to the side of the jaw, and Sterling was out long before he hit the mat. Um, he fell over, I don't know how many of you may have seen this, but if for those of you who have seen the uh, Ray Mercer knockout of Tim Sylvia, that's kind of how he fell. He took that and he just timber. It was it was one shot. It was one shot. I'm so glad he. Well, well, I mean I don't know if he's okay, but it seems 
I mean, they were able to revive him afterward because that was, that was a bit of a scary knockout, but man, um, Marais finally picked a, a heck of a time to finally show up in the UFC. His last two performances uh, after he came in from World Series of Fighting were nothing to write home about. Yeah, this was pretty obviously his... Uh, again, Like I thought he beat Rafael Asuncao. I stand by that. That fight sucked, Much as I... okay? That fight sucked. I would say it he, wa- barely, it, he barely... It wasn't the John most Dotson. technically... Profi- it wasn't the most appealing fight. That's very true. And neither was the Dotson fight. And I, I actually really only, enjoyed that one. He only barely got by Dotson. I... Like he outpointed... He outpointed Dotson. To me, he didn't even really beat Dotson. He just outstruck him a little bit. I don't yeah, know. I, I thought he won that I fight. I disagree with That was hardly an emphatic victory, Robert. Come on. No, it it Dotson, wasn't as it, it wasn't memorable. That that was the big thing. Like it was, impre- it was it. impressive when Dotson you realize. Dotson was not in that fight at all. He barely he barely engaged in that fight, and neither did Marais. I was really disappointed with that fight because, you know, I mean, Dodson's fought like that before. He he has trouble t- just turning it on. Um, I mean, look, Marais was a heck of a fighter in World Series of Fighting. He was uh, not that World Series of Fighting. He's fighting elite competition, but he was he was smoking guys left and right, and some were really tough veterans, guys like Tyson Nam and Miguel Torres. You know, and this was this was Torres shortly after he had left the UFC. Um, it wasn't as like Torres was in decline at that point, yes, but I mean it wasn't that far into it. Tyson Nam, not a world beater, but I think going into that fight, he had just beaten uh, Eduardo Dantes. Yeah, um, and this I was think a big Dantes deal. was Dantes, Dantes was the Bellator the champion. The ba- yeah, and he was ha- and, and Dantes, you know, came from. Um, what's um, uh, Nova Inyao fighter had a very respectable record, very respectable. Um, still does. I mean, he. Uh, no, no, he, no. Yeah. He just barely lost the Bellator bantamweight title again to Darian right, Caldwell. Exactly. Uh, he. He's Dantes a, is like, legit. I feel. I feel. I feel. Like a guy like Dantes could be a fairly good fighter in the UFC. So, with all that in mind, um, it looks like Marais has finally gotten comfortable with the. I mean, people. I mean, people joke about the octagon jitters, but they're real. And sometimes it takes uh, a while for fighters to get a handle on it. You know what? I think it was similar for Eddie Alvarez, who kind of. Uh, he didn't. Alvarez didn't look great when he first came into the UFC. I feel like he struggled a bit, and then and then, look what he did to Rafael dos Anjos. I think, I think these are just, these are just the intangible factors, um, that are hard to break down when you look at a fight. Yeah, I mean, oct- you know, again, we joke about octagon jitters, and for some guys, they're not a thing. Like there are certain fighters who come in and like and frequently say, no, I didn't have any problems adjusting. And then there are some guys for whom they're real. And, uh, right. I mean, Marais even said so after the fact. It, 
it's different to be here under these circumstances. I finally feel like I'm settled in now. Like, this is kind of why, just to give you an example, why the John Jones situation is so tragic. Like, you never see John Jones get nervous in any type of situation. Um, when he was first fighting in, in major fights, from his first UFC fight to his last, I never saw him get nervous. Yeah, um, I don't know what they do with Marais next. Uh, I, did Jimmy Rivera get a opponent settled for? Because he was supposed to fight Cruz, and actually, I think at two nineteen. I think he might be waiting. To see what's going uh, No, happen. no, John Lineker. They they have John Lineker oh. in that slot now. This is a great fight. He could fight. Um, he could fight. Hmm. I am very I am very down for Marlon Moraes versus the winner of Jimmy Rivera and John Lineker. <laughs> I am very down unless for that. You wanna, unless you want to give the winner of that fight, the, but, the, eh, but then Lineker is a basket case. Eh, I don't know. If Rivera wins, I think you should get a title shot. If Lineker wins, I think you do Lineker and uh, yeah. Moraes. I like that. Lineker has the win over Marlon Vera, so I don't know, maybe. That fight's coming up in December. Yeah, I'd wait to see what we um, what we Cruz? do next with Marlon until that fight. Hey, what but... about Dominic? Cru- what about Dominic Cruz, Robert? What would you think about that? I mean, I'd love the fight just because I love both those guys, and seeing them fight would be great. I don't know what we what the UFC wants to do with Cruz or his uh, timetable for return might be. He was out with a with a broken arm. And if it's a if it's a clean break, then it's you know it's nothing. But those can also be tricky depending on the location again and the type of break. And I think a lot of that is not known. I, I mean, if you just had again, if it's a clean I mean, minor break, pro- then it's uh, of the things that have happened to Cruz. This is probably the least of what he's of what I'll ever have to worry about. Although somewhat ironically, now that now that it's been brought up, uh, somewhat ironically, now watch this be the thing that actually causes like him to have to retire early due well, to complications. If he does, if he does, I mean, he will have had a pretty, still had a pretty successful career and one of the most dramatic comebacks in the history of the sport. Regardless, at the moment, he is still the best bantamweight in MMA history. At the moment, that will change over time, but. Yeah, probably. I mean, both probably. TJ and Cody could take that could take that accolade in the next couple of years. Eh. Wouldn't shock me one bit. True. We'll I mean, they're both good enough. But yeah, yeah. Again, I <laughs> Marais and Lineker would be insanity in the best way possible. Marais and Cruz would be a lot of fun. Uh, Marais asks some very difficult questions, but you know, Dominic Cruz. Almost never loses, so that I'd be down for that fight. Neither does uh, Jimmy a, Rivera. Uh, mean, Jimmy Rivera's—he's a serious uh, again, threat. If it if you could do Marais and Rivera, if Rivera loses, I think that might be interesting. Uh, but I th- I just feel if Jimmy Rivera beats John Lineker, you probably should give him the next title shot. I agree. But I as far agree, as that, then, and. As far as just a fight between Marais and Rivera, yeah, I love it. I mean, but I love the whole pop of bantamweight. Here, it's great. Do you think? Do you think they make that flyweight title fight with Johnson and Dillashaw, 
Or does Johnson just try to move up and fight for the Bantamweight title? I don't know. I I don't think Johnson will move up and fight for the Bantamweight title. I don't think right. the UFC will pay him what he has. Because he said he's willing to do it under a specific set of circumstances, some of which are financial. And absent that, he is perfectly content to just run over flyweights. And Well... I don't begrudge him that one bit. I would love to see him at bantamweight, personally. But you know, again, at this point, we're talking about his yeah, business decisions did, and his life, and I'm not going to. Look what he did when the UFC gonna... tried to book. Look what he did when the UFC tried to book uh, him against Dillashaw. I think that was just more the circumstances at the time. I mean, DJ even said, you know, if TJ were still champion, it would be a whole different discussion. And that's why I think elements of it are likely to go further this time in terms of discussing it, See, but I, I don't John, know what they do. If I'm Johnson in his camp, I'm, I'm saying I, let, me try to, let me try to win two belts. He's already, got, he's already broken the record. Um, I would try to go for the second title. And he might. If that's what he decides to do, I, would, I don't like it. You know, who cares about three million? You're going to make money. You're going to make money if you fight for the Bantamweight title. And, I mean, talk about, I mean, I mean, I mean, he's already a future Hall of Famer based on breaking the record right now, breaking the silver record. Then, if he goes up and beats TJ Dillashaw to win two belts at the same time. Yeah. No, that that would absolutely be history. has never even defended a belt. Robert, he defended his belt twelve times, and then yep. goes up and wins another. That's what I. That's what, if from I another his, recognized pound for pound great at the moment. Yeah, TJ's right. an if exceptional I'm, fighter. If I'm Johnson, that's what I'm pushing for, because Johnson was already a top bantamweight when he moved down. He was a top ranked bantamweight, even though he lost to Dominic Cruz, and Dominic Cruz. I mean, Cruz isn't champion anymore. It's a guy who I think Johnson happens to match up very well against, to be honest with you. In some ways, yes. Uh, that's a much more favorable fight for him than Cruz or Garbrandt, for sure. At least in terms based of on speed, styles. I think he's... I mean, Dillashaw's fast, but I think Dillashaw's even faster. Yeah. No, I mean, not uh, Dillashaw, if, I mean Johnson. Johnson's if that's the way Dillashaw. they want to go, I wouldn't complain about it one bit. I, I don't know yeah. that they'll get it done. I genuinely don't. But well, I mean, I mean, again, I mean, I'll, I mean like, I'll have fun if they do. I I mean I I just I I understand you want to get paid, but I mean I mean how much more do you really expect to get paid? I mean if you were to move up divisions and win two belts, you're gonna get you're gonna get those rewards, and I think that's a more realistic scenario. But, do you make you more? Know, it's not, do you make more money from holding two championships? I mean, Connor did, but that's because Connor's a draw. Like, I wonder if there is the, something in the, their contractual. The bigger fights. Were. Look, Robert. The bigger fights. The bigger fights and the bigger money fights would be at bantamweight, would they not? At the moment, yeah. I just. I also wonder to what degree they're going to be bigger financially, as a, uh, in terms of financials for all parties concerned. All right. Well, but again, well, that, we're that, kinda, that's, that's specific kind of, of the contract circumstances kind of between tangent. all parties. 
kind of a tangent, but it's just, you know, we kind of just got all these weird situations going around uh, with the champion. We do. But we'll, we, get, we'll get, we also don't we'll have get, yeah. much left to talk about on the main card. Yeah. I don't even want to talk um, about the rest of the main card. Yeah, we can just do burning Go desires ahead. for the rest of this. Um, I, I want to say this, actually, very briefly. For the next two fights in particular... Um, Scott Holtzman defeats Daryl Horcher via unanimous decision. Nothing of note. Um, Horcher still struggles to avoid being taken down. Scott Holtzman's good at takedowns. And Eric Anders defeated Marcus Perez via unanimous decision 30-26, 30-25, and 29-28. Um, to the 29-28, Judge, you suck at your job. Uh, that second round from Anders was pretty textbook 10-8. Uh, and I don't know which round you could have possibly given to Perez. While those two fights were happening, and the resultant, you know, mountain of commercial breaks between them and whatnot, there was a boxing bout going on uh, between Vasily Lomachenko and, I forget the other gentleman's first name, but uh, his last name is Rigando on ESPN, which was about the best, most technical boxing bout that can be made. Uh, I mean, you should look guys. I know this is an MMA podcast. And when I occasionally divert into, you know, wrestling or boxing, I imagine there's a few of you just, Oh, shut up and get on with what we're here for. If you're a real fan of technical fighting, even if boxing isn't necessarily your bag, look up and watch Vasily Lomachenko. That man is a technical Marvel. Uh, he fights like he exists two seconds in the future. It's fat. It's unbelievable. He is absolutely unbelievable. And Rigando is an unbelievably proficient fighter as well. This was the first time I believe in professional boxing history they had two gold medal Olympic gold medalists fighting. I mean, this was again about as good as boxing can get at the moment from technique. And it was a really solid, it was an interesting fight. Lomachenko blew him out and made him quit after the sixth round, I think. I believe it was after the sixth. Uh, and I, I don't want to go into detail here because, again, this is an MMA show and most of you don't care. But I was watching these two fights and it's a lot of uh, uninspired stuff. And I was thinking the whole time, boy, I'd rather be watching Lomachenko right now. Uh didn't feel that way after this because again you had the you had the top three fights which were all except which were all excellent but that it happened to coincide with you know that stretch of fights was uh, unfortunate because I didn't have anything to feel good about watching <laughs> instead of that instead of that fight. Um, and Eric Anders still has some potential. Uh, he throws good straight punches, but he's got to get his footwork better. Uh, he should have finished Perez but he kept letting him circle away from him off the cage. Uh, better cage cutting, and he would have ended that fight. Benito Lopez defeated Albert Morales via unanimous decision, 30-27, and then 29-28 twice. These two had a crazy first round. Uh, there was some insanity in this fight. Uh, there were three, I think, flying knees from Lopez that connected in the first round. They both got dropped. Um, it slowed down a little bit because you can't keep that kind of craziness. Over a full 15 minutes, it's it's almost impossible. But they had a decent fight. Um, 
Pretty solid win for Lopez. Alexis Davis defeated Liz Carmouche via split decision. 29-28 for her twice, and then won 29-28 for Carmouche. I was 29-28, Davis. Um, not a whole lot here. Carmouche just couldn't keep her arms safe whenever she was on top, and Davis nearly had her a couple of times with arm bars. Andre Sukumtot defeated Luke Sanders via TKO in the second round. This was impressive. I was looking forward to this fight. It pretty much delivered. There's a lot good about Luke Sanders' game, but he got real lazy with his head position in this fight. He ducked to throw a left and then just brought his head back to the center line without proper defense, and Sukumtot turned his head like it was a top with a right hand. A really much-needed win for Sukumtot. I actually thought he got screwed on his last fight. I thought he won that pretty clearly. Um, but it's a, that was pretty good. Alex Perez defeated Carlos John de Thomas via uh, Anaconda choke submission in the second round. I'm a sucker for an Anaconda choke. Uh, there was a really nice Perez set this up really nicely. Um, from what I call the ride position in wrestling, it's called referee's position. Uh, he had a leg ride going, and he used a uh, – Ben Askren calls it the assassin. It's a really interesting kind of setup from that position. You have uh, one arm go around the head. You kind of pin uh, one of their arms between your body. It's a really great setup. You just roll for – you you get that control, and you roll for a pin if you're in folk-style wrestling. There's all kinds of submission opportunities that you hit from that spot in uh, grappling or MMA. There's an arm, in, there's a, not an arm in, it's a head and arm guillotine is what I call it. Uh, that's real easy from there. There's, you really set up for an anaconda, but you could reverse your arms and just punch the other one through and go for a darse. Uh, Anders just went for the anaconda, not Anders, excuse me, Perez went for the anaconda from there, uh, locked it up, got the finishing technique proper this time. He had it, he tried it in the first, but he didn't have... To Thomas's head properly against his chest and abdomen, which is where a lot of the compression comes from to help finish that out. And he did have it the second time, so pretty solid debut from Perez. And again, I'm a sucker for that particular choke. Um, Frankie Signs defeated Mirab Devashvili via split decision. Nothing of note here. Alejandro Perez defeated Yuri Alcantara via unanimous decision 30-27 and then 29-28 twice. This fight sucked. Davi Hamos defeated Chris Grutzmacher with a rear naked choke in the third round. The way he hit this choke was... Uh, the fight itself was okay. Uh, Hamos had a really good first round, and then in the second, he started fading, and Grutzmacher's pressure started getting to him. Uh, he hit this rear naked choke. He had a, a rear waist lock. Kind of elevated, forced a mat return... Didn't even really get the back, like halfway towards taking the back. He got the arms around the neck. Um, it was a really, really fast submission finish. Um, there's still some pretty serious holes in Hamos's game, but uh, if he sees an opportunity for a submission, he jumps on them. Um, his finish in uh, the ADCC finals, because he won his weight. Um, I forget what year. But... He had a really weird um, jumping armbar to a guy who was in seated guard. Uh, was a real thing of beauty, especially at that level. And kicking everything off, Trevin Giles defeated Antonio Braganetto via knockout in the third round with punches. Giles has some really proficient boxing. He has a really nice jab. 
And Neto had a decent first round once he got things to the mat. But once <laughs> on the feet, he was basically a heavy bag. And Giles just kept beating him until he finally got him out of there in the third. So keep an eye on Giles. There's some really sound fundamentals there that, as he improves, are going to become uh, – sorry, not are going to, but could become very, very uh, effective weapons against some really talented fighters. So uh, only other thing of note from this event, Frank Trigg uh, was one of the referees for a few of these bouts, and uh, he's put on some weight. But he's got a nice beard, and it's uh, it's good to see Frank Trigg not getting punched in the head anymore. Cause, uh, yeah, he went out on a really bad streak. Uh, all right, Jeff, any other burning desires you have from uh, the rest of those fights? Nope. All righty. Uh, thanks to everyone who followed along with my coverage or read it after the fact. Always appreciated. I, I'm well aware of how many places you guys can go for that service. So thank you very much. Uh, all right. Saturday, we have UFC on Fox 26. Uh, the main card is good. The UFC is back in Winnipeg. This is their first time since uh, UFC 161. Oh, that was not a good card. I remember that. Like The most interesting thing was Stipe Miocic um, smoking Roy Nelson over the course of that fight. The rest of that... Uh, yeah, that had Jake Shields versus Tyron Woodley on it. <laughs> oh, that was a bad that fight. That fight was horrible. Awful there fight. Was a, there was a lot of horrible stuff on that. Like, the the big standout from that card was, um, again, you had Miocic kind of coming into his own and putting on a boxing clinic against Roy Nelson. You had James Krause submitting Sam Stout with a guillotine choke in the third round of their fight. Right. Uh, the rest of that card was... I mean, sure, Sean Jordan knocked out Pat Barry, but who cares? Well, this main event is at least a relevant main event, a, and it could... This is a really good det- main event. It um, could determine well, Woodley's next opponent, potentially. It should. Okay, it should. Dana White said that it will, but there's a lot of unknowns about... Well, well we'll Again. get more to that later. We'll, we'll get, get more to that, that later. Uh, yeah, that that robble robble. That whole thing got slightly more complicated. Um, anyway, Robbie, Robbie Lawler coming off of that big win when he beat uh, Donald Cerrone. I mean, Lawler's on. He's still on his incredible. He's on the best run of his career. I mean, despite getting knocked out by Tyron Woodley. Not really. Like, He's one fight removed from the Woodley thing. He is, but I mean, like, the totality of his last, say, four years. Yeah. We'll is see. the best four-year stretch of a, his career. I mean, I mean, Dos Anjos, to me, he's on the better run right now. He's got more momentum, arguably. All things considered, yeah, because he's 2-0 and since moving up to welterweight. He beat uh, future he, welterweight champion Neil Magny by submission. I don't call him Matt anymore for a reason. <laughs> I'll still call him uh, yeah, that because he beat a he beat former champion Johnny Hendricks. Uh, yeah, he steamrolled Neil Magny. That was that was something. I mean, I picked him to win that fight, but I did not expect him to do it like that. Look, a win over Magny means it means a lot. Magny is a tough cookie, you know, and he has a look at his record. 
at welterweight, he's been a fairly consistent performer. Fairly consistent. Save for Yeah, I mean, some, yeah, that his losses his losses are to top contenders. I mean, I mean, Lorenz Larkin, but I mean, we never really got to see if Larkin could have been a contender, which he very much could have. Yeah, Larkin got a better financial offer from Bellator. Right. And before that, he was he'd only lost to, you know, uh Damian Maya tapped him out, but again, he hasn't lost to just anybody in a long time. Very many, time. right, exactly. And then he, I mean, he also, and he dominated Tarek Safadine. That was an impressive win uh, as his, It was know, a good name. Uh, the fight itself was Safadine's nothing not like special. Elite, but Safadine's, a, he's a tough, I mean, he's a tough opponent. He was um, a good test for, he was a good guy to debut against yeah. at welterweight to see how he was going to perform in the division. I mean, this is a true challenge for Dos Anjos. So, I mean, if he wants that title shot, this is his this is his opportunity to cement like to cement to cement it, um, and if he wins, he's pretty much right there. Yeah. As for how this goes, I'm torn because if Lawler again, if Lawler fights the way he did against Cerrone, he probably takes this. But Lawler also doesn't really fight well when he's on the back foot. Um, that's where and he's a slow Carlo- starter. He he's frequently a slow starter. Or he'll he does two things. He'll either start slow and kind of wait wait to wake up to like flip the switch, or he'll start really like a bat out of hell. Then, yeah, like a bat out of hell, and then he'll take two rounds off. You know, one round. If it's a or one he, round, he usually only takes one round off between those between those types of rounds. I. I see this going very similarly to um, Dos Anjos versus Eddie Alvarez. I think RDA might have some success kind of pushing Lawler back, but mm-hmm. Lawler's takedown defense against the cage in particular is unbelievable. There's a physical disparity that I think is going to come into play here, and I just feel like Dos, Let me see. Uh, Dos Anjos is going to wind up either run over very quickly or he's going to have some laps in his defense that Lawler clocks him over okay. and then is able to finish him from there. Lawler I got Lawler to a stoppage. Lawler is coming in with a significant size advantage, but, you know, there is there is the mileage issue, you know. Um, that's a real he thing. Looked good, I, he, looked, he looked good against Cerrone, so I don't think that's going to come into play here. I think he's going to dominate. I think he's going to dominate Dos Anjos for most of the fight, and I kind of see it going like the Matt Brown fight. Honestly, I think I think Dos Anjos might take a round or two, but ultimately Lawler's going to he he's going to be a little more resilient and just outstrike him uh, most of the time and win a decision. I'm really struggling to see RDA go all five rounds here, just with the firepower that Lawler's going to be bringing back his way, but. We have Sonius is tough, man. He's he's fought he's, he's for a tough, long time. but he can be stopped. I mean, we'll I mean, see how much went, the weight he cut went three played hard into rounds. That. He went three hard rounds with Safadine, and and like Safadine, maybe not a world beater, but you know, a, a fairly tough opponent, I think. Um, Safadine has a. I mean, he had a win um, over Jake Ellenberger. Let's see, he beat Nate Marquardt. Um, had a good five round fight with 
uh, Hyungyu Lim. I think he could go five rounds with Lawler if it goes if it goes that way. Uh, I won't be too surprised if it does, but I I don't just I struggle to see him really surviving a an effective barrage from Lawler if Lawler finds that opening. But I also don't see Dos Anjos like catching him in a way that he would knock out Lawler, but we'll see. I would be very surprised if Dos Anjos were to knock out Robbie Lawler on the feet. Um, it's not that Dos Anjos is a bad puncher, but he doesn't have lights-out power. I, I'm not saying I'd want him to punch me in the face or anything, but he's not... I mean, you know, Tyron Woodley will right. turn your lights out. We haven't seen that from RDA. Like, when he knocked out Cerrone in their title fight, like, that was a liver... It was a liver kick... Yeah. And Cerrone's, he, Cerrone's always been weak in the, in the midsection. He just always has been. Yeah. He's had, it, it was, he's had those, and then, you know, plus he's had those intestinal up, issues and those injuries beforehand. So I don't think that'll happen with Lawler. Yeah. I, I don't we'll either. Uh, a brief tangent before moving on to the next fight. Apparently Cerrone's talking about dropping back down to lightweight for his next fight. I mean, if, if that's the case, this is all I want to say. If that's the case, and you don't make Donald Cerrone versus Justin Gaethje, there is something deeply and profoundly wrong with the matchmaking. If he can make the weight, I'm fine with it. But I think, you know, after he spent all that time at welterweight, I don't think it's going to be that easy for him. If he can't and he keeps fighting, uh, again, if he can't, I'm not going to hold it against him because there's physiological consequences to weight cutting. If he I does would, go back to lightweight, I want Cowboy versus Gaethje, and that's really all I want out of MMA right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm sure Gaethje would love that fight. They both love that fight. They, that, that's the type of fight both the guys love. So, right, and that's kind of why I want it. Anyway, your co-main event. This was supposed to be Ricardo Lamas and Jose Aldo. Of course, after Frankie Edgar got injured, Aldo moved back into the main event from UFC 218. Stepping in to replace Jose Aldo is Josh Emmett. I might, I would have picked Aldo over Lamas, mostly out of habit, but I would have given Lamas uh, a pretty serious look for that fight because Lamas is, Lamas is good. I, I, I'm still picking Lamas here. Emmett's three and one. He's a fairly unknown quantity here. He's coming off that win over, is it Felipe Arantes? Arantes. It's kind of with a um, CH. It's Arantes. Arantes. Okay. So, that, yeah, had that kind of CH sound. Uh, I still like Llamas here, but um, look, it's a, this is a huge uh, opportunity. It's a huge step up for Emmett. And some guys put in, in these kind of situations can rise to the occasion and really surprise us. And sometimes they don't. Um, I don't think there's an exact formula here, but um, to me, this is nothing Lamas hasn't seen before. Yeah, I've and, got Lamas um, pretty easily here. Uh, Emmett, Josh Emmett. He has not really impressed me or had a really memorable performance in the UFC yet, I think. I actually remember Josh, a few of Josh Emmett's fights, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is, when I say he fights mm. in the style of the old Team Alpha Male, I mean this is, he shuffles a lot with his feet. It, it sounds like I mean that as some horrible negative. There's 
there's both uh, there's positives and negatives to that style of footwork. <laughs> but a lot of the team alpha male guys move that way. He does a lot of the mm-hmm. kind of bending at the waist and then throwing the looping overhand right of the left hook to set up a double leg. And he kind of leans on his wrestling. He fights very much like that. And I mean, there's a, there's a certain level of success that executing that those skills will get you in MMA. And it's a pretty high level at the moment. I also don't think it gives him much of a chance against Ricardo Lamas, who is a very, very good wrestler, a very straight, very hard puncher, and has someone who has fought the best in the world frequently. I mean, Lamas' only losses in the UFC are to Aldo, Chad Mendez, and Max Holloway. <coughs> That's it. That's the type of guy you have to be to beat Ricardo Lamas. And I don't think Emmett's that guy right now. I, I like right. Lamas pretty heavily here. But that's also why – but look, anything can happen in a fight, and, you know, the slightest mistake can give your opponent an opening. So that's why yeah. – this is – Lamas cannot – he he can't take a fight like this for granted because that's how you lose these type of fights. Yeah, like he can't go true. in there with a chip. He can't go in there with a chip on his shoulder, being man, I I have my big opportunity to prove myself against Aldo a second time and prove I'm a contender again. He can't he can't go in there thinking uh, this fight isn't worthy of him. He can't go in there with that mindset because that's how you lose those type of fights. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have our regularly scheduled dose of chaos. Um, <laughs> Santiago this is, a fun one. is fighting Mike Perry. Um, <laughs> this is going to be nuts. Like one of these guys is going to sleep. I mean, <laughs> Ponzinibbio is very underrated. Very significantly underrated. underrated. Um, he's on a five. Fight yeah, five and five in a row. His he's only loss is in the UFC. Seven and two. Seven yeah. and two at welterweight. And he's only lost to Ryan LaFleur and Lorenz Larkin. And, and, and he's coming off a win over Gunnar Nelson, a guy I'm very high on, who's a pretty good, you know, pretty good round. talented fighter. Yeah. Um, uh, Ponzi Nibio is dangerous, and this is a fight I do not want. Like, Perry's got to tighten things up here. Perry, you know, I don't know if you noticed it in his last fight, but Perry – he can get very sloppy with his defense and fight with his chin. He does oh, not yeah. want to do that against – he does not want to – because this guy has knockout power. This guy's heavy-handed. He does not want to do that against Ponzinibbio. Yeah, if Ponzinibbio stays technical, if he's mm-hmm. able to kind of find the openings that come from fighting a brawler like Perry, he You're should right. win this fight. I'm, the question is I'm whether or not he can – I'm picking Perry, but I think I think Ponzinibbio has all the tools to win this fight, Robert. Yeah, the big thing for me is how easy is it going to be for Perry to goad Ponzinibbio into a brawl? Because <coughs> in a brawl, Perry, well, he hasn't lost one yet. Uh, not to say he can't lose them, but <laughs> at the moment he hasn't. But even uh, against... Even against Alex Reyes, like Perry was doing things, I'm like, "Eh, I don't know why you're doing that. That's really, you know, that's a little reckless. But, you know, Perry's an exciting fighter. 
he's a he's reckless an fighter. fighter. To his benefit True. and his detriment. True. Whether that I works mean, both ways. Yep. Uh, I'm deeply looking forward to this one. I'm going to pick Ponzinibbio, but that's the that's a uh, very I, slight I, I totally thing. get it. I totally get it. Um, Ponzinibbio is underrated, and uh, if he wins this fight, I hope he starts getting a lot more attention and respect because, I mean, I mean the, the guy's been putting it together lately. He's been He's been performing. Um, three yeah, of his last five wins have been knockout, and Gunnar Nelson's really good, man. Uh, Gunnar Nelson, he sometimes has some hit and miss performances, but that's a, I mean, I mean that's a guy you know with really good wrestling, really good grappling, uh, and he knocked him out in the first round. So I mean that says something. That's a statement. Um, this is a good fight. I really this could be the this could potentially be fight of the night. If I had to pick only one on paper that was going to be fight of the night, it would be this one. What did my keyboard do? I was trying to just look up what <laughs> he's ranked at the moment, because he is. Uh, <coughs> but Allow me. I will deal with that later. See, welterweight. Uh, anyway. Um, Ponzinib- oh, Ponzinibbio is 10. And uh, is Perry even ranked? I don't even think Perry's ranked right now. So arguably, at least at least Ponzinibbio is ranked. So if Perry wins, this puts him solidly in the top ten of the division. So this is this is really, if you care about rankings, this is more meaningful for Perry than it is for Ponzinibbio. Other than the fact that Pon, that Perry is getting all the hype and attention right now. Yeah, and kicking off the main card, we have Glover Teixeira versus versus Misha Serkunov. Okay, things seem to be working again for me over here. So, uh, th- this both is a guys very relevant off knockout losses. But yeah. both guys are still high up the light, light heavyweight pecking order, as horrendous well, as it is right now. <laughs> it is light heavyweight. Yeah, I mean Glover Teixeira is still number three. I hate this division. True, but but he's thirty eight. He's kind of he's kind of lost those major fights, and then Serkinov, He's thirty. He had that loss to Uzdemir, but now Uzdemir is fighting for the title. So he now he's got go a jail chance. To... Well, now, well now, well. So I guess arguably the winner of this fight could be on deck or something. You could. You could easily have the winner of this on standby to fight in Boston, assuming you don't just scrap that fight, because they announced last night that, I believe the new main event for that, I think it's 220 in Boston, uh, is Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight title. Um, I mean, because he has a couple wins. Like, what's going on with him right now? I have no idea. I don't know. If he's not hurt, he should be on deck for that because they made Uzdemir versus uh, Cormier, but Uzdemir has some legal issues in the state of Florida that could interfere with that. True, true. So now you've also got Miocic versus Nganu as your headliner there and as a good insurance policy against Cormier and Uzdemir falling out for any number of reasons. But as for this fight... Um, it's a good this contest. is a tough fight. It's a good matchup. It's good. This is tough for Serkunov. Misha Serkunov's primary 
asset is his grappling. That's where he really excels, is getting you down, passing your guard, finding right. your neck. And Glover Teixeira is a very good grappler. Uh, it gets overlooked good, good a lot. Good takedown defense, good submission defense. Yeah, fairly and good. good takedowns and good submission offense. Like, I, I really do hope bo- we he's get... He's a fairly good boxer. Which is the big difference to me here. Um, Serkinov really kind of needs to get this to the mat. Uh, he has a much higher chance of winning there. Whereas Teixeira's pretty good wherever this goes. Um, this is another instance where I'm going to pick what I think is probably the less likely outcome, but I'm going with Serkinov. Okay. Um, based, again, like, based purely on, for want of a better phrase, the mathematics of it, you know, Teixeira's a more proven puncher. He's a more well-rounded fighter. He's very, he is more than capable in Serkinov's best area, whereas Serkinov is a bit more iffy in an area that Glover has, is also documented as being very good in. And Teixeira is not like a one-hitter quitter, but he, he is a dangerous striker. Like he's well-rounded, and he's dangerous in the stand-up. He can put it together. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm still going with Serkinov here, but I freely admit I'm probably going to be wrong about this one. Um, going out on a limb, going out on a limb, I'm picking Teixeira by decision, just kind of by, by how they match up. But we'll see how, we'll see how well Teixeira's chin is going to be holding up at this stage in the game. He has been knocked out. In two of his last three, fair, um, and he took up beating in his last fight. Yeah. I mean, he, he yeah, got we'll knocked see. out in one punch by Anthony Johnson, right. but I'd rather be knocked out cold in you know twenty seconds than take a because he was right. finished in what the fifth round by correct Gustafson. It was, right. It was late into the fight, and that so was that's, not a that's close like fight one concussion at all. Versus possibly. That's one concussion versus possibly multiple sustained concussions over the course of a, a longer contest. More so. Yeah, he got beat up a lot in that fight. Yeah, um, but he's had he's had plenty of time to recuperate. So. Yeah, I we'll actually like the timetable. Um, both he and Serkinov. Yeah. Took some pretty serious time off after those you know, big oh, losses. It, it was the same card. It was the same card. Yeah, I I like the timetable. You know, just give yourself a chance to kind of fully recover yeah, from getting your brain rattled. I agree. Uh, all right. As for the prelims, um, <laughs> there's not a lot. This card took some. It's going to sound weird, but uh, this took some pretty serious hits over the last couple of weeks. We got. We still got your favorite fighter, Eric Silva. Still uh, in the UFC somehow. Why did you bring that up? Why would you do that to me? Well, I mean, he's fighting on the card. You were gonna mention and him he's anyway. fighting. I am, and he's fighting Jordan Mean, which is just like funnier somehow. Um. Anyway, we lost a couple of fights. Uh, they've just been, you know, other people have been plugged in. But let's see, we lost. We lost a whole fight. Um. Sultan Aliyev was supposed to fight Nordine Taleb, and Sheldon Westcott was supposed to fight Danny Roberts. Um, Aliyev and Westcott both fell out. Now Taleb and Roberts are fighting each other. 
Uh, Vitor Miranda was supposed to be on this card. He got pulled. We were supposed to have Little Nog versus Jared Cannonier. Little Nog failed a drug test. Uh, so uh, that was earlier. But again, like this card has suffered some ad- some adversity. Uh, we lost a flyweight bout between Tim Elliott and Justin Scoggins when Scoggins suffered a spinal fracture, which is uh, no joke. Uh, so they plugged someone else. Just some fights that may not have been headliners, but may have added a little bit of depth to this card have kind of been chipped away. Let's hope it doesn't sustain any more adversity before Saturday. But anyway, as for the rest of the card, we have Jan Blahovitz versus Jared Cannonier. Cannonier. I'll take Cannonier there. I'm not sold on that one, but Blahovitz just broke. Blahovitz has not looked good lately. I mean, he beat Devin Clark, but... Uh, at middleweight, we have Julian Marquez versus Darren Stewart. Um, Stewart had that had those two fights with uh, Francis Maroso that went... Uh, the first one wound up being a no contest, then he had a rematch that he lost, and then he lost to Carl Roberts, Robertson. Not even a T there. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to pick Marquez. Um, just, I don't think Stewart's all that good. Chad Laprise is fighting Galore Buffondo. Um, Galore Buffondo, I don't know how many of you might remember this, had actually a somewhat memorable UFC debut. He knocked out um, Mickey Ward. Charlie Ward. Mickey Ward's a boxer. He knocked out Charlie Ward by throwing him onto his head. It was crazy. Um, Laprise won his last two. He beat Goaty and Brian Camozzi. I'll go with Laprise. He's a much more technical fighter, but I can hope for something crazy. Uh, Tim Elliott is fighting Pietro Menga. Uh, I see no reason why Tim Elliott shouldn't take that. I might have favored him over Scoggins, in all honesty. So, against the debuting guy, I'll, I'll take Elliott. Uh, John McDessie, man, his last fight was, uh, yeah, with Lando Venata kicked his head off about a year ago, a year ago today, actually. Uh, he's fighting Abel Trujillo. I'll go with Trujillo there. Um, that might actually be a fun fight. In middleweight, we have Alessio Dikirico and Oluwale Bamboche. Jeez, better be a loser leaves town match. I mean, DiCarico's only UFC win is a split decision over Gareth McClellan that I thought went the other way. Uh, I'll I'll take Bamboche there, but Bamboche is nothing to write home about either. And on Fight Pass, we have Jordan Mean versus Eric Silva. God help us all. Fight of the night. Fight of the night. Um, Eric Silva, who is one in three in his last four, only oh, wins over Luan Chagas, just got stopped by Yancey Medeiros. And Mean is, I think, the same. The same. Mean's on a three-fight losing streak. Um, ugh. At the very least, Silva is going to stay on the roster. That's good. You know what? No, screw that. I'm <laughs> taking Mean. <laughs> just. <laughs> Just because I want Eric Silva to go away, that's it. 
This is my emotional pick for the card is screw you, Eric Silva. Uh, and kicking everything off, we have Nordine Taleb and Danny Roberts. Um, Taleb, he's been trading wins and losses recently. He lost to Alves, knocked out Eric Silva, lost to Ponzinibbio, beat Oliver Enkamp, whereas Roberts... Is that hot chocolate? That is hot chocolate. I, I actually kind of like Danny Roberts in this fight. Uh, Taleb's a good technical fighter, but he's a very low-output fighter. I kind of like Roberts there, actually. All right. Uh, Jeff, do you have any burning desires from those group, from that set of prelims? I mean, not too many, like, fights I'm excited about, but there are fighters I like. Like, uh, I like Tim Elliott. Uh, I like Abel Trujillo. So uh, I'll be interested in those fights, but uh, I, I guess McDessie Trujillo is a decent fight. Uh, and Chad LaPreece as well. So I like those guys. So I'll be looking at those fights. Yeah, that McDessie Trujillo fight, it's flying under the radar, but it kind of grows on you when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, Trujillo's, I mean, he's a pretty, he, he's under, I mean, he's not an elite lightweight, but he's a pretty underrated lightweight, and he's a very dangerous striker. Uh, all right. That will be on Saturday. I will have coverage of that in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so stop by and say hello. Appreciate it. Yay. Yeah. What the belt? These venue names, man. Ugh. All right, anyway. Uh, All right, on that note, there's at least one major news item we have to touch on. And Jeff and I, I believe, have significantly different perspectives. Okay, which one is this? I believe you and I feel differently about uh, the middleweight title situation. Okay, so go ahead. So, you lead us off with that, and tell right. us what you uh, for those, For those of you who may not have heard, George St. Pierre announced earlier this week he is vacating the middleweight title. Uh, he developed ulcerative colitis, which is not fun. Uh, that I know people make jokes about it because you know, about you know convenient really timing and whatnot. I'm gonna trust that he has it. If he's lying about it, we have a like. I'm not prepared to go that deep with my conspiracy on George St. Pierre's middleweight title reign. Um, anyway, so again, assuming he has it, and I'm going to take his word for it, it's not a. That's some pretty unpleasant stuff. Uh, I do wish him well in his recovery. This promotes former interim champion, now undisputed champion, Robert Whitaker, to the full title, and his upcoming bout with Luke Rockhold in Perth is for the undisputed middleweight title. It's a good fight. I mean, no problem with that fight, so I, at least Luke uh, yeah, Rockhold no... can stop complaining. <laughs> he won't, but <laughs> come on, Luke Rockhold, stop I mean, complaining. I mean, he really has nothing to complain about, honestly. He got knocked out sure. by Michael Bisbin. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, Michael sure Bisping knocked you out in the first round. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's going to have to carry that forever. Anyway. We can complain, but he can't. Yes. Michael Bisping has not knocked me out yet. I imagine that's what would happen were we to fight, but as of yet, it has not happened. Um, I am completely okay with this. Uh, this is, I mean, fundamentally, this is what I wanted to happen. <laughs> Those of you who might remember when I you said wanted, I wanted... You G- wanted GSP to win the title and just vacate it? 
I wanted him to win and retire. That's actually what I said. I am on record. That's what is I wanted. Is he retiring, though? Is he retiring? I'm a, if he vacates it to go back to welterweight or whatever, I'm okay with that, too. Like I, I am completely okay with this scenario on this You want him line. to fight Tyron Woodley that badly? No. I Honestly, I want him to retire, like straight up. I want him to retire. That's what I – if I – if this is about what I want. That's what I want. Should have just fought Anderson Silva then. If we were going to go, you know, we did all of this. He should have just fought Anderson Silva. Hey, if Anderson hadn't popped again, we might have been able to have that. But look, MMA is like the stock market, and Bisbing's stock was higher. He had to fight Michael Bisbing, who was intoxicated. <laughs> Uh, and look, let me be clear. The reason I wanted that particular set of circumstances to happen was I feel it's – there's two things. One, I think it does the best job of biting the UFC in the ass for nonsensical and overly greedy matchmaking. And two, it actually gets the division back on track with the best fighting the best for the actual title as quickly yeah, as possible. Yeah, but look what it's done to Robert Whitaker. Now people are going to be on his case for not beating GSP or Michael Bisbing. There's always going to be those people. I don't care that he didn't beat Michael Bisbing or GSP. The, I the care. Lineal, that's fair. Again, I'm not saying anyone who feels that way is wrong. All right, I'm, I, Let me be clear about this. The lineal title has value. It absolutely does. This was the fight he wanted, Robert. He want, he and his camp pursued the Bisbing fight. They wanted the middleweight title. They wanted the middleweight. They wanted him at middleweight. They wanted yep. they wanted him to move up. And that's what the he, UFC let it happen. That's what he wanted and they gave in to him and he agreed to that and he agreed yep. To a middleweight, uh, a middleweight title defense, if he wants, uh, or to vacate it. And I he don't chose look, to vacate. If he can't, if he can't, if he can't make the weight, and if it's making him sick, and, and if it's unhealthy, I don't want him to do that. But I mean, why did you want to fight at middleweight at all? Then I mean, I, I mean. Because Michael Bisping was the champion. It's not because he had a very me. clear opportunity to make a lot of like money that. I'm sorry, and I don't make like history. that, Robert. Then it should that's not okay. have been then it You don't have to like it, but that's that's the circumstances. To me, GSP as deserves, a, as deserves an equal amount of GSP deserves an equal amount of blame here for causing all this chaos. This is all on the UFC for me. No one hundred and twenty percent. I don't I put it on I, I put it partially on GSP. The UFC allowed Michael Bisbing's title reign to become a joke. His first title defense was against old man Henderson. Undeserved title shot. I don't blame Bisbing for accepting a fight with a guy okay, but that then, far right. down in his career. What about and I don't Michael blame Bisping? Henderson for accepting a title fight. Bisbing, Bing, after everything he's done, doesn't he deserve to get to pick an opponent for once? No. After everything you're the he's champion. done for the UFC. Not when you're the I champion. Mean, I mean, I mean, they did it for John Jones. They let they let him fight. He didn't want to. He didn't want the rematch with Gustafsson, so they made him fight. Um, uh, uh, they made him fight uh, Teixeira instead. Yeah. Uh, 
I think that was slightly different because he pretty clearly, I feel he won the Gustafson fight. But no, if you are the champion, you should fight the next guy up that's readily available. And Bisbing didn't. And then he didn't again because the UFC decided to try and take the path that would make them the most amount of money regardless of athletic meritocracy. So did Bisbing and GSP. I'm not holding them completely blameless, but how many other times have fighters, especially recently, said they want a money fight and the response from the UFC is shut up and fight the next guy up? Um, that has happened I, a significant number of times recently, and they didn't do it in this case, and this is the direct consequence of that. Okay, but More, they, they, they do it. They don't do it in the they they do it in the cases of guys who actually are not money weight fighters. Okay, and I, GSP I is one of the few. GSP, yes. He's one of the few who could make demands that could potentially get concessions. Like they let Conor McGregor, they let GSP do whatever they want, basically, because they're GSP and Conor McGregor. Um, yeah. Um, let me think. They try. I mean, they tried to make a money fight for Johnson, and Johnson was just like, no, I want to fight Ray Borg, which I got to be honest. is T.J. Dillashaw, Ray- absent the title is not a money fight. But look, but look, um, Dillashaw is a bigger draw than By how much? Demetrius Johnson. Considerably. By how much? Considerably. What was the last, what was the last pay-per-view that TJ Dillashaw headlined? Let me, I'd have to go back and look. I mean, he was the co-main event for 217, 216. One of those two. I think it was 217. He was the co-main for 217. Yeah, and that was under Bisbing and GSP. Right. So he was on. He was on. Uh, he was on the Rousey Nunez card. Well, that's Rousey. Um, Let me see. I actually, this might sound crazy, but I think eh, the last pay-per-view he main evented was his rematch with Henan Burrell. Uh, that wasn't, uh, that was Fox, not pay-per-view. The rematch was on Fox? Huh. Yeah, UFC on Fox 16. All right, my, my point there is I don't, I mean, I don't think we're talking about a significant order of magnitude in terms of different, in terms of, drawing power between T.J. Dillashaw and Demetrius Johnson. Dillashaw well, has... Look, I mean, is Dillashaw bigger I, in terms of drawing? I don't like, yeah, probably, I don't like but, any of this. I, I, Robert, I don't like any of this. This is a mess. That's fair. It is. The a reason I'm okay... Mess. There's two reasons I I'm like okay the, with I'm okay with it because I like the fight. I like Robert Whitaker, um, and I like him as champion, and I even said before all this that I thought he was... He was the true champion, but to all the people who are going to call GSP the greatest ever, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't call him undoubtedly the greatest of all time after this whole mess. He beat Michael Bisbing. Michael Bisbing, I'm sorry. Michael Bisbing is a great fighter. Don't get me wrong. I think Michael Bisbing deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. But to me, like, you know, you didn't beat, like, the consensus, like, like, 
beast of a champion who had gone through the gauntlet, and you and the title he came into a disputed title situation, and he didn't unify those titles. So, so I'm sorry, you're not the greatest ever. You're certainly in that conversation, and, and yes, one of the greatest of all time. Still, I would say the greatest UFC welterweight of all time. The greatest UFC welterweight champion of all time. A UFC Hall of Famer, to be sure. But, like, this whole process has, has left a very bad taste in my mouth. It's, and very quite frankly, taste. it should. It's been spitting on the athletic meritocracy in favor of cheap cash grabs. But, I mean, but, we've been, you know what? You know what? We've had that for the past 10 years, though. We have. I mean, and in fact, it's still ongoing because hey, Conor McGregor. Everyone overlooked it when Brock Lesnar came in and was given that title shot uh, against Randy Couture after beating Heath Herrig with a one-in-one UFC record. Um, well, yeah, to be fair, the only yeah, other yeah, yeah, heavyweight yeah. contender at the time was Verdum. Like there were contextual elements Verdum to that was circumstance. The merit, he was the merit. Verdum was the merit number one contender, contender at that time. Yeah. Um, and if Randy Couture hadn't had another contract dispute with the UFC at the time, leading to that whole situation, I don't think Brock would have fought for the who was the interim champion at the time. You had Mir, right? Uh, you had Mir and Nogueira uh, who were going to fight no, for no the Gare. interim belt. And then after they'd announced that, Randy came to terms on a new contract. They brought him back in, had him and Lesnar fight, and Verdum was left on the outside, and he fought well, JDS and well, got knocked well, out. Based on merit, uh, Ryan Bader probably should have gotten a title shot at light heavyweight instead of uh, Alexander Gustafson, who was coming off a, lo- a knockout loss to Anthony Johnson. Yet, if that fight happened, you would have poo-pooed it wee-wee-wee all the way home. Only because I don't like Ryan Bader. Like, on a yeah, merit standpoint, Bader, yeah. Barrett, you know, Bader, Bader was the deserving Barrett, number one contender. He was the number one contender. Yeah. I'm, I don't dispute that. All right. Um, I get, like, my biggest thing okay. in the I'm reason... I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with, with, with GSP's action. He, and you know what? Ben Folks is right. He does not owe us a damn thing. And I am pissed, and he doesn't owe us a damn thing. But does owe Robert Whitaker. He does owe Robert Whitaker an apology. Maybe not me, but Robert Whitaker. He owes him an apology. Eh, he might. Um, I'm just, l- let me say this. I am glad that this happened as quickly as it did. That's my big thing about this. Is it less than ideal? Sure. I would have much rather seen GSP fight Robert Whitaker. And I say that as a guy who actually kind of likes GSP, and he would have been bludgeoned. Because Robert Whitaker is the best middleweight in the world. Yeah, I mean, is there any dispute about this? Like, he was the interim champion, but on merit, he was the best middleweight in the world. I mean, look at his last fights. He knocks out Derek Brunson. He knocks out Jacare. I'm forgetting one. Did he beat Joel Romero. Romero. No, no, I thought he had another finish in there. 
I could swear I'm forgetting one. I could genuinely swear I'm forgetting a very... I think think Romero was after Jacare. Yeah, Romero was after Jacare, but... Okay, no, so it's just the last week. Nicole, Brunson, Jacare, Romero. Yeah. He beat Hall, too, but it was by decision. Yeah, he clearly beat Uriah Hall, clearly beat (laughs) Derek... yeah. Rafael Natal. He knocks out Derek Brunson in he the first round. He knocks Jacare. out Jacare. He didn't just, just, he didn't just knock Jacare out. He bullied the man. He, he, beat, he beat Jacare like we've never seen Jacare get beaten before. We've yeah. never seen any, like anyone do that to Jacare. Not even Musasi. Musasi got, got him with a fluke. That's the, like, you talk about fluke knockouts. That was a fluke knockout. Jacare with that upkick, yeah, back in dream. Up. He beat Jacare up. Beat yeah. him down. And then he but, overcomes a knee injury to decision, clearly, Yoel Romero. If he beats Luke Rockhold, like, it, it, there's no, that is the most insane run. I'm just saying, GSP, apologize to Robert Whitaker. Apologize to Robert Whitaker, and I'll feel a little bit better. Again, I, I'm just glad that resolved itself so the division can get moving again as quickly as possible. Unlike, say, lightweight. As an example of a division that is still a giant um, mess. Do we want to talk about, like, Pacquiao actually made comments to the press saying he he's in initial talks for a fight with McGregor. Um, Wouldn't shock me one Dana bit White if it were says, true. And Dana White says, if that's true, I'll sue you and and uh, whoever represents you. Dana White's out of his depth here. Why? Conor McGregor has a boxing license and is represented in the arena of boxing by McGregor Promotions. Yeah, but Man, UFC he, co-promoted UFC co-promoted his fight with. Uh, as a concession to Have avoid you UFC ex- contract, how do you know he? How do you know UFC didn't sign a clause that they would represent him in, perp- in perpetuity for boxing? How do you know they they don't have that written in? The UFC doesn't have a boxing license. The UFC can't actually know? promote boxing. But they did. They co-promoted under the umbrella of two boxing organizations in the form of Mayweather. It, uh, they all got together for that fight and decided on a very specific course of action, specifically to avoid extensive litigation. If Dana wants to sue to try and stop this, that's fine. He can. I guarantee Conor McGregor is going to drag every nuance of his contract through public court in order to get that looked at and the UFC does not want legal precedent set with regards to the language in their contracts. And let's be fair. Look, I hate the thought of McGregor and Pacquiao boxing. It's stupid. It was stupid for Mayweather and McGregor to box made a lot of money, but it was stupid. It's stupid for McGregor and Pacquiao to box. Again, it's just stupid. They're all just looking at dollar signs. I don't care for it. Um, McGregor's a McGregor's got to be careful now because he's acting. He's acting. He's acting like an idiot. 
mean, just to is, put it and put it simply. I won't be and shocked look, if they young, wind up in he's court got over money. this. He's young, he's got money, and like he's famous. I get that. You know, if I was in his position, I don't know if I'd be acting any differently. But that still doesn't mean he's not acting stupid, you know? Yeah. He's still acting stupid and irresponsible. Because he, fa- he is a father now, and he, no, he's not married, but he is a father. And, he, it, you know, he's got... He's got responsibilities now, and eh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not his parent or anything, but and UFC's not going to discipline him because they want him to fight again for them, and he's got him by the balls, and he knows it. So they're not going to do, they're not going to discipline him in any way. But I just wish someone would sit him down and just, I don't know, tell him, you know, you're acting like an idiot. Um, not necessarily in terms of his fight career, but everything else he's doing right now. I don't think it's wrong to like, you know, buy, you know, if you want to buy some toys, you want to buy some cars and some nice clothes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but like just some of the garbage he's doing, like slapping officials and getting into fights with referees and then getting into, he's getting into brawls with mobsters and stuff or whatever, you know, like, come on. You're, you're, yeah, you're a bad at you're a badass fighter, but I mean, you know, you now you're 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 just acting foolish. You're making a fool of yourself and you're setting a bad example for your son. Yeah, I I don't know if McGregor and Pacquiao are gonna wind up boxing. I'll say it wouldn't surprise me. There's a lot of money to be made there too. Mm-hmm. But uh for the Conor McGregor is still technically the UFC lightweight champion. And he has tied up that division and screwed it up to a significant degree for exponentially longer than GSP's middleweight title reign. Well, we have fights we can do in the meantime at lightweight, at least. Yeah, there's a good one right, coming so up let's at 219. Get to the, let's, let's get to the other. Let's, get, let's move on from McGregor. So this is the last major news item is we have our Heavyweight title bout signed. Um, it's going to happen in Boston. Uh, is it at 220? Yeah, I believe that's yeah, UFC, it's at UFC 220. Yeah, UFC 220. So UFC 220, they've signed Stipe Miocic um, defending the heavyweight title uh, at Francis Ngannou. Uh, Unprecedented so third time. So that's a, I mean, that's a quick turnaround for Ngannou. Uh, they line that up quickly. I mean... Miocic has had, I mean, he's had a lot of time off, but is this really fair to put Miocic in a fight with a guy like Nganu that quickly? I don't see any problem with it. Like six, I weeks, mean it, six weeks notice. I sincerely doubt that <coughs> he's only going to have the six weeks to prepare. I mean, he mm-hmm. and his team have been negotiating for a while. I imagine it was well-known to him and his camper at least assumed that the winner of Nganu versus Overeem would get the next title shot, so he's okay. probably been looking at that. Okay. I got to be honest, and I like how... I like Stipe Miocic in this matchup, Robert, and I'm probably going to pick him. Yeah. I, I love the fight. That's the best heavyweight fight the UFC has put on in since years. the first couple in of... Years. Literally since the first two uh, Velasquez versus JDS fights. Yep. And I really, um, 
Ngannou could win, but I'm leaning towards Stipe. Uh, there's like a lot Ngannou that he does lot, very I well. I think he could win this fight, but Miocic, he might not have the knockout power of Ngannou, but he does have knockout power. And, no one has the knockout power of Ngannou. I mean, well, right. But he, but has, hits hard. he has boxing, and he's good at – Miocic is good at, at putting at, – when, when he's prepared, he can fight for five hard rounds, and he can stay yep. out of trouble. He can, like, get in, get out. Because he's a golden, he's a Golden Gloves level boxer. Um, he's he's a he's a high level wrestler, and he's a boxer, and he knows he knows how to use footwork and angles and all of that. Um, now he he can't he can't do what he did against uh, Junior Dos Santos, or he will probably get put to sleep. But um, I don't know. I think this. I think he could test Ngannou like. Overeem was not able to test him, basically. Yeah, and that's why I, I agree. Like this fight. I I like the fight. I really do. I'm definitely looking forward so, to that one. Cormier, Uzdemir, as of now, that's still happening on that card too. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Uzdemir has those legal issues. We'll see if that. I, I mean, I don't think I don't think the fight's going to fall apart, but you never know. Hey, there's any number of things that could cause a fight to fall apart. We've seen. Right. And it seems every month or so they come up with a new one, so <laughs> we'll see. Okay. I mean, Cormier's I 40, that... you know? So, an injury, oh, and, uh, injury last, to either guy. Last Not item, impossible. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mark Hunt, apparently, he, he got the brain test in Las Vegas that the UFC asked of him, and apparently he has been clear to allowed to fight again. I mean, whether he should be or not, I mean, that's up to you, but so apparently Mark Hunt will be allowed to fight again for the UFC, but should he, I don't know. So there's eh, that. I mean, I'm not his, I'm not his father. I'm not a commission official. I'm not a, you know, I, I mean, look, there is no way to detect CTE in a living person. Medically, there isn't. Yeah, that's the thing. The whole and thing is you can't is is that you can't detect it until after death. Yeah, you physically have to dissect the brain. As soon as we can, let me be very clear about this one because Jack Slack brought this up, and I think it's an incredibly valid point. As soon as we develop a test or a scan or something that can detect it reliably. 40 fight careers are a thing of the past. I, I would guarantee it. You, you know, mean like again, overall I, for combat sports or in MMA? Jeez. Um, for, for MMA, almost certainly. Um, certain boxers, right. depending on scheduling, might be able to still go long, but... Because Hunt does not have 40... He doesn't even have 30 MMA fights. Yeah, but he's got a lot of... He's got a lot of kickboxing. <laughs> See, kickboxing. He was. Uh, he had. He had well over forty. So. He, he had a long kickboxing career, and he's had a long, in terms of years, MMA career. Like, th- there's a lot right. of miles there. And you know, Overeem's another guy who's had. He's had over forty MMA fights, and he had a long kickboxing career as well. There's, you are not really going to see that in the future once we figure out how to detect CTE in living people. 
And hopefully they do figure that out. Um, yeah. That's really one of those things that you want to get a handle on as quickly as possible. I don't think the UFC was wrong for wanting him to undergo further testing either. And I think that was the right move to do, whether it was for, whether it was for PR purposes or not. Um, and Mark Hunt should think a little bit more about what he says in public. And I assume he ultimately went through those tests because his lawyer saw they did not have a legal leg to stand on uh, from that situation. They really no, didn't. His, his other uh, lawsuit is a legitimate one that I'm curious to see how it plays maybe, out. This one was. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, again, the this other one, one definitely not. Yeah, the other one I'm interested in seeing how it plays out because there's things about it that are very I don't know. His public, statements, his public statements, I think, are going to ultimately hang him for that one. It's entirely likely, but again, that one at um, least there was something there. His other, you know, this most, this one, like no, they pulled me from a card for health. Con- like no, you don't have a legal leg here, buddy. Just suck it right. up, move on. Well, no, they, I mean they pulled him because of statements he he's cre- he's credited as having written publicly. Like his name is on that article, and he said those things. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, again, I'm that's glad that's over situation. and. Get, move on, whatever happens next. He could fight. Who who would he fight, I guess, right now? Oh. He already fought, he already Derek, fought Lewis. Derek Lewis. Which was kind of my first thought. Was eh, he and Lewis might. Is he rebooking against Tybura or Volkov? Maybe Volkov? Volkov's um, on a winning streak. Volkov's an interesting thought. Um, mm. You could do Tabora. You could do. Um, if you wanted to give him a slightly softer touch, uh, you could do Shamil Abdurahimov. Or Olenek, come... maybe? Olenek? Uh, Blades, the guy who um, beat Olenek, Didn't I think bl- might be interesting. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. Because Blades uh, has only lost to uh, Nganu. And Velasquez, you could do don't Walt even Harris. know what's going on. Walt Harris is floating around out there somewhere. I mean, you could do Walt Harris just to give him a fight. Walt, you know, you talk about soft touches. Walt Harris. Walt Harris, exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, it's up. It's a, they're going to have to figure that out. There's there are Cam bodies that have you. Cam Velasquez is such an unfortunate situation. Uh, I mean, he might fight again, but you know, who knows? It's just. <laughs> Just, he could very well look good in a fight, but the, but you know he's wrecked his body so much in training, it's just never it's never going to be the same again. You know, talk about it. I mean, eh, whatever. Just yeah, he, disappointing because Cain Velo- I thought Cain Velasquez was going to dominate the division for years. Honestly, yeah. Agreed. No, I thought he was all set to really challenge, you know, Fedor as the greatest heavyweight ever. They genuinely thought I he mean, could have taken I, I that think he's title. Honest, and you know what? I think he's still in that conversation, Robert. Because You can still make the argument, but it this is one of those things where like it should have been a runaway success and instead Right. There's still a debate. I, I, I can argue that Velasquez fought when he was champion fought tougher opponents and better competition than Verdum, then, then uh, Emilianenko, excuse me, Emilianenko did when he was champ. 
some of that's accurate because Fedor had a couple of weird fights. Fedor also fought some of the best heavyweights ever. <coughs> so did so did Velasquez. Again, the, the, again, there's there's reasonable debate that can be had on the subject. Okay. And the thing there is, you know, again, Kane probably should have run away with that argument had he been able to remain healthy. It, he should have already had the UFC record for most consecutive title defenses. But here's, here's the question. Without all that really hard training, do you think he's still as successful as he ultimately was? Or yeah. Yes, or did, there, or did, there's, there's things that he does that he did not have to destroy his body to achieve. Right. I don't know. Again, that's just my two cents. I, yeah, I, fair point. Fair point. You know. Uh, anyway, on that note, was there anything else we wanted to bring up, or are we ready to do? Plugs? Uh, I think I think we got I think we got the I think we got the main, thing, and we've already gone over a little, but there we go. Alrighty, uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, if you haven't seen again, if you haven't seen Lomachenko Rigando, please do yourself a favor. There was beautiful technique there. All right, Jeff, uh, what do you got to plug? I know you've got some stuff uh, coming up. Check out check out my interview with John Claude Van Dam for his new show, uh, John Claude Van uh, Johnson, premiering on December fifteenth on Amazon. I got to actually sit down in a room with John Claude Van Dam and talk that to him. Very cool. uh, so that was that was very cool. So check out that interview. I am on my way to see Star Wars in less than twenty four hours. So I, I mean, the first group of people that saw it at the premiere, I will be the second group of people on this planet that other than the brass at Disney who will have seen Star Wars The Last Jedi and I will be seeing it at the Walt Disney Studios lot. We are going to have an early review up. We are going to have it up on 411mania.com. Tune in Tuesday everybody. Don't miss it. Uh, So yeah, be on the lookout for that. Thank you everybody. Thank you Jeff. I'll see you next week. Be a bad. As a housekeeping note for the schedule, I want to bring this up again. Next week we will review UFC on Fox 26. Um, we're also going to do an early preview of UFC 219. Um, 219 isn't until the 30th, but next Sunday is the 17th, and the Sunday after that is the 24th. And when I would normally be doing the show, I will be watching the greatest Christmas movie ever. Still Die Hard. Uh, so there will not be a show on the 24th, but to, get, to make sure we do preview UFC 219, we'll do that next week. Um, 219 is a pretty solid card. I don't know if you guys uh, paid attention to that. You got to really... It's sad that there's such a sour taste around the main event because it's Cyborg versus Home. But that's legitimately, I think, the best fight you can make for Cyborg at this point. Uh, I'm very anxious for that fight. You have Khabib Nurmagomedov and Edson Barboza. That's, that's so good. That's going to be a really good fight. Uh, Jimmy Rivera and John Lineker is going to be all kinds of fun. I mean, who doesn't love a John Lineker fight? And Jimmy Rivera, Rivera's an exceptional fighter. Like That's a good one. You've got Condit coming out of you know, breaking his hiatus to fight Neil Magny. Um, I don't care about Calvillo and Esparza. Um, Kamaru Usman's fighting, which could be good, could be bad. He's fighting Emil Meb, uh, Weber Mech. And uh, Mech is 
there's some fun that can be had with Mech. Uh, I I really like Usman there, but that might, that one might surprise some people. So, uh, oh, Rick Glenn's back. Rick Glenn and Miles Jervis is a good fight. Okay, that's a yeah, do it. That's a really good card. We'll give it a full preview next. Uh, not next. Yeah, next week. Excuse me. Uh, so come back for that. Uh, as far as me for this week, I don't have anything. Uh, there is no damn you Hollywood. And the Tuesday show is the TV party for The Crown, the Netflix series, which is Mark and Andrew Graham. Uh, so tune in for that. It should be fun. Uh, it's an interesting show. I'll be back next week to host this. That next coming Tuesday, Mark and I will review Star Wars The Last Jedi. That, uh, it'll be interesting. Um, Mark and I avoided a lot of, uh, a lot of angry discussion for, uh, The Force Awakens when we invited a couple of people on who were Star Wars fans, because, uh, I'm not. So, we'll see how this one goes. This will, uh, maybe the movie will be awesome, and it'll save me, it'll just, you know, uh, go around all that, but, I don't know. I don't know. I'll know more when I see it, so. Uh, thank you to everyone again for listening. Back next week. Uh, until then, for Jeff, I'm Robert. Uh, please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. Mm-hmm.